Well, can I just begin by thanking you all for inviting me here. It's been a busy weekend, but it's been a, a real blessing for me and my wife uh, to spend time with you and to share God's word with you. Um, for those of you who are visiting this evening who weren't here this morning or yesterday, uh, for the last two days I've been working through a series called A New Look at Grace. So you're catching the tail end. This is the last of the series of five talks. And uh, we've been thinking about this term, grace. We've been thinking about the fact that the Bible says we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. And that, not of ourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. We thought that the world is full of religions that says, no, no, if you want to please God, you have to do things. You have to earn his favor. You must follow these rules. You must go on pilgrimage. You must fast. You must pray. You must go to this place or that place or this ceremony or that ceremony. But the Bible's different. Christianity is different. Christianity says no. You can't save yourself. Only God can save you. So we've been working through five great truths that all come together to form a hand which really grabs hold of us and, and draws us from our lost condition to our saved condition. And it's all summed up really in Jonah 2.9. Salvation is of the Lord. We can't save ourselves. We're like people drowning in the middle of the sea. The idea of someone coming along in a helicopter and leaning out the window and say, swim a bit harder, it would be laughable, wouldn't it? It would be cruel. And yet that's what the world's religions do. Try harder. You're a thousand miles from any dry land. You're exhausted. You're drowning. And the world's religions say, try harder. But Christianity says, no, you need to be rescued. And we have a savior, one who rescues his people and who delivers them. And he is the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are five truths that, that remind us it's not us and our swimming ability that saves us. It's Christ and his grace, his kindness to come to us where we are in our lostness and to get hold of us and to lift us out of our lost condition and to bring us into his family, into his kingdom. And so that we just say thank you and praise him and worship him. And these five truths are, are there on the screen and we've been working through them the last two days. The first one is that we are totally lost. We're not just a little bit lost. We don't need swimming lessons to get to the other end of the pool. We're not a few yards away from the finishing line. But we are utterly without hope if we are without Christ. The Bible says we're spiritually dead. And we need a miracle. We need to be made spiritually alive. That was the first truth. The second is God chooses to save some. Not all, but some. And uh, we saw that those whom he chooses to save are not chosen because they're better than other people, more deserving or more worthy. Quite the reverse. In fact, often God chooses the weak to, to shame the strong and the foolish to shame the wise. God chooses by his own free will. Gracious choice, unconditional choice. We thought about that. And we saw that when Christ died on the cross... It wasn't just a random death for maybe some who might believe and some who might not. But he had a people in mind, his people, his sheep as he calls them in the passage you read from John 10. 
And when he died on the cross, he died for all his people, right from the very first believer, Abel, mentioned in Hebrews 11, Adam and Eve's son, right the way up to the last Christian who will put their faith in Christ before Jesus returns. People of every nation, every language, every people, every tribe. Christ died for them, his people, out of love for them. And he didn't die for those who reject him. So God is just in punishing them because Christ has not already borne their punishment. Christ bore the punishment for his people on the cross. That's what we saw at the end of Saturday. And this morning, we saw that 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 work on the cross 2,000 years ago comes home to us experientially when God calls us. We thought about the mum who'd cooked her tea, shouting, tea's ready. And we thought about the outward call, the preacher, like uh, Billy Graham or whoever else it may be, saying, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There's an outward call every time the gospel is preached. And the words make a sound that, that penetrates the ear. But then there is an inner call. When the Holy Spirit accompanies that word <clears throat> excuse me, and convicts the hearer of their sin and, and, and makes them conscious that this isn't just a man preaching, that God is speaking through that man and drawing them, calling them to act. And God works irresistibly. God changes our desires, our wishes, our motives so that we want to turn from our sin. We're disgusted at our sin. We want to, to, to be right with God. We want to come to Christ and know forgiveness. And we're drawn irresistibly to repent and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. Well, we're in the last of these five truths this evening. Kept all the way. That's my heading this evening. Kept all the way. We've sung it in our opening hymn, All the Way. My Saviour leads me. What have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy who through life has been my guide? That's what we're going to think about. And this truth is important for all of us for different reasons. Maybe you're here tonight and you're a young Christian. Maybe you're baptized within the last year. And since you're baptized, you've discovered that Christianity can be difficult. Your friends you used to have before you were converted uh, don't want to be with you now as much as they used to. They think you're kind of weird. You know, they, 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 they don't understand what you're talking about when you talk about wanting to go to church or read your Bible or pray. And to be honest, you're not really finding that easy. And you go to work, and again, people will laugh at you or tease you or make fun of you or maybe pass over you when there's a promotion. And you're discovering that it can be hard to follow Christ. And so for you, you may be thinking, can I, can I keep going? Can I keep this up? You know, I, I chose last year or whenever it was to follow Christ, but it's not easy, this narrow path that leads to life. I don't know if I can keep going. It's harder than I expected. Well, you need to hear this truth this evening, if that's you. Maybe some of you have been Christians for decades. And you're saying, well, I've got this far. But you know, 
The thing is, when you get older, everything gets harder. You kind of begin to lose your, your strength. You begin to lose your energy. And doubts can creep in. Am I going to be able to keep going? Am I going to be able to persevere to the end? I'm beginning to get tired. I'm beginning to lose my strength. I'm not sure if I'm going to keep going. Well, if that's you this evening, you also need to listen to these words. Some older Christians actually can have panic attacks, can have real pangs of doubt and fear. What if I fall away before I die? Will I really get to heaven? It can be a real, real problem for some. Will I persevere to the end? If you have questions like that, you need to listen to this message this evening. Maybe some of you here are not Christian. And maybe you're thinking, well, I know Christians. Maybe your parents are Christian. Maybe you're thinking about becoming a Christian. But there's a doubt in your mind. And, and for you, it's like, well, if I chose today to become a Christian, could I keep it up? I look at my mum and my dad or my uncle, whoever it is I know is a Christian. They seem so committed. They seem to work so hard for the Lord. And, you know, I, I don't think I could do that. You know, I don't think I could keep it up. If that's you. You need to listen to what I have to say this evening. I'm going to do three things, which I've done in all of these other four talks. I'm going to give you the truth as contained in the Bible. I'm going to give you the scriptures that give this truth. So you know it's not just me speaking. It's what God says in his word. And I'm going to apply it to all of us so that we can see how helpful these truths are. In particular this one tonight to do with God's keeping grace. That's where we're going this evening. So what's the truth I want to declare to you this evening? Well the truth is that every true Christian whom God has chosen, redeemed, and called, shall persevere to the end. They will arrive safely in heaven, and they will never perish or be lost again. That's the truth. Bit of a mouthful. So let's simplify that. Those whom God calls, he keeps all the way. That's the truth. God keeps those he calls. So we've read John 10 together. And we're going to consider a few of the verses in that reading. Look again with me, if you have your Bible still open, at John 10, at verse 11. We've referred to this passage a few times already this weekend. And in verse 11, we read there, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. There we have Christ's redeeming work. Christ pays the price for his people, the sheep. He buys them. He buys their everlasting souls with his precious blood shed on our behalf on the cross. That's what it says there in verse 11. Verse 15. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life 
for the sheep. There again, Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep. Christ has purchased us by his blood. We thought about that at the end of yesterday. Also, look at verse 16. In verse 16, Jesus says, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus is now talking about his irresistible call that we were thinking about this morning. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me, says Jesus. Look at verse 27 of this passage. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. That's God's irresistible call we were thinking about this morning. And then look at verse 28 as Jesus goes on. And verse 29. I give them eternal life. Not life for, you know, a couple of years. Not life for the rest of their time here on earth. No, no. Jesus says, I give them eternal life, everlasting life. Look at verse 29 as it goes on again. And they will never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Fourfold security, Jesus stresses to us there. If you're a Christian here tonight, Jesus wants you to know, I've not just given you life when I saved you. I've given you everlasting life. And you will never, ever perish. No one can snatch you out of my hand and no one can snatch you out of my Father's hand. You are fourfold secure. The Father has you, I have you. You have everlasting life. You are safe in Christ. Doubly secure by the Father and the Son with this everlasting life that Jesus gives those who come to him. What does that not mean? It doesn't mean that true Christians will never sin. We know from the life of David, he was a true Christian and yet he did sin. He did fall into sin. But a true Christian will never totally fall away. Like David who wrote Psalm 51 in our Bible, they will come to repentance. They will come to restoration. They will be restored by God's grace and enabled to press on in the Christian life. If you read John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, you'll know... There were times when he was locked in Doubting Castle, was going nowhere spiritually. And yet God enabled him to get back on that narrow road and press on in the Christian life. That is true for all true believers. What else does this truth not mean? It doesn't mean that true Christians will never have doubts or fears about their eternal safety. I mentioned this earlier, didn't I? To be safe is one thing. To feel safe is another, isn't it? 
Some of you are nervous passengers when other people are driving, aren't they? You cling onto your seats and you go, oh, slow down, slow down. You feel you're not safe, but you are safe. Some Christians are very timid, very fearful. Again, in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, he talks about that end obstacle, crossing the River Jordan, how some pass from death, through death, into heaven easily, and yet others feel like they're drowning. Christian and hopeful are going through the river, and and Christian is sinking, and hopeful is there to help him, to lift him up. Some of us battle more with doubts than others. I shared my testimony this morning. And some came to me afterwards saying, I would love to have a testimony like you, but my experience is different. I, I don't have that Damascus Road experience that you had. I can't point to the day I became a Christian like you can. And I have doubts. Am I really saved? That's normal. That's normal. I shared with those that spoke to me after the morning service, you're not alone. Many Christians have these doubts. We can all have varying degrees of assurance of our salvation. Jesus says, if you are a true Christian, you are safe, even if you feel you're not. Thirdly, what does this truth not mean? It doesn't mean that true Christians don't need to watch and pray. And use all the God-given means of grace to persevere to the end. In fact, the Bible teaches quite the opposite. Having said, God's chosen you, God's called you, God's redeemed you. The Bible then says, press on. Exert yourself. Do all you can to persevere to the end. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians and chapter 9. And read the words of the Apostle Paul, who did have a Damascus Road experience. And yet this is what he says to the Christians in Corinth, who many of them had remarkable testimonies, converted from gross immorality. Yet Paul says to them, don't rely on your dramatic conversion. This is what he says, 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 24, which is on page 1137. Do you not know... That in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So, run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So, I, the Apostle Paul, Do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So there's the Apostle Paul. He says, I'm a missionary, I'm an apostle. I've preached the gospel more times than I can remember, yet... There are times when I fear that I might not make it to the end. I might not persevere to the end. So what do I do? Do I take it for granted? God will keep me? No. Do I sit back on my laurels and say, I had a Damascus Road experience. I'm definitely safe. No. Paul doesn't do that. 
Paul says, I discipline my body. I, I press on. I exert myself for fear that maybe I could fall away. So this doctrine does not teach us to neglect the means of grace. If you're a Christian, don't think, oh, I don't need to go to church anymore. I'll get to heaven. I'll enjoy myself now. And then I'll enjoy heaven as well because I've been converted. I, I went up to the front at some meeting, maybe a Billy Graham crusade or something. So I, I, you know, all that spiritual stuff sorted. Now I can enjoy myself. No, no. No, no, don't think like that. We have to press on in the Christian life. We need to use the means of grace to persevere to the end. The mark of a true Christian is one who continues, who presses on in the Christian life, striving to grow in obedience to God's word and in likeness to the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of the Apostle Paul. We read his words somewhere to the Corinthians. Let's turn back to the book of Acts. Paul was on a journey to Rome. God had told him he had to bear witness to the gospel in Rome. And his journey to Rome from Jerusalem was a very difficult one. He was a prisoner. And he was in a boat and he was in a storm. And uh, he told the captain and the, the, the Roman centurion who was guarding him, don't go. Uh, this is a bad journey. We're going to be in trouble if we take this journey. But they didn't listen to him. And then... They're all struggling. They're all fearful that they're going to drown in this storm on the boat. This is what we read in Acts 27 and verse 21, which is on page 1113. Since they had been without food for a long time, this is all the crew and the soldiers on the boat, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, You should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found twenty fathoms. A little farther on they took a sounding again and found fifteen fathoms. And fearing that they might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed that day for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape uh, from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the boat, uh, 
you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. And as day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he said these things, he took bread. And giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they'd eaten enough, they lightened the ship throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea. At the same time, loosening the ropes, they tied the rudders, then hoisted the foresail to the wind. They made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump abroad, overboard first and make for the land and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. So it was that all were brought safely to land. God spoke through an angel. God said, everyone in this ship will live. Everyone will survive this storm. Everyone will survive the shipwreck that they're going to have to face. So did they all say, oh, great, good. We can all relax now. (laughs) God's got it all under control. No, quite the reverse. There's a great deal of striving, isn't there? A great deal of effort. They need to eat food to have strength to swim ashore. They need to grab bits of floating wood if they're going to make it, if they can't swim. Paul says to the Roman soldiers, don't let any escape. Cut the lifeboats. We need to obey God's word if we're going to persevere to the end. Yes, we have the promise that we will all survive. But we must obey his word, persevere to the end. And that's the picture of the Christian life. We see that especially, don't we, in verse 31. Paul said to the centurion, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. So this promise is not for the careless person who's looking for an easy life. Well, I'm okay. I don't need to go to church. God saved me. I'm safe. That's not what this teaching teaches. This is for true Christians, for those who obey God's word by his grace, not perfectly, but who press on by his grace in the Christian life, as Paul did. Jesus teaches in the parable of the sower that many people 
claim to be Christians, but not all persevere to the end. Some, of course, are like the hard ground. No thanks, mate, I'm all right. They never believe, they never respond. But others, they're like the shallow ground. They say, yeah, I want to be Christian. I want to be baptized. Henry, I want, I want to go on that course next week, next Tuesday. Sign me up. I want to go to heaven. That sounds great. But Jesus says, when difficulties come, when persecution comes, they have no roots. They're like the seed in the shallow soil. They, oh, this is too hard. I can't keep this up. I can't, I can't live the Christian life. I'm stopping the course, Henry, sorry. I don't want to come to church anymore. It's too difficult. Jesus says, they're like the seed in shallow ground. Others, they, they keep growing, but they've got other things in their life. You know, their job, their career, their, their hobbies, and these deceitful things, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, are like weeds that grow alongside the seed of the gospel, and they choke the seed, the good seed of the gospel, and prevent it from bearing fruit. I, I can't make Sunday this week because I've got you know, a football match or a hobby or whatever. Excuses one by one, little by little, the worldly influences creep in. Jesus is warning. Those who claim to be Christians, be careful. It's only those who persevere, and those who bear fruit, the seed in the good soil, who are the true believers, that this promise applies to. This truth is a logical continuation of what we've been learning this weekend. We began, didn't we? Our second talk, rather, was about God choosing. And we used the illustration of the, the supermarket trolley, didn't we? You go into the supermarket, you, you look at all the food on the shelf, and you choose the flavor of crisps that you want, and you put them in your trolley. And God chooses to save some. And the act of putting us in the trolley is, is like a conversion. And we experience belonging to God. But, but Jesus pays for us at the cross, doesn't he? Those whom God chooses, he purchases, just like we have to pay for our shopping. But then those whom he purchases, he keeps. That's what we're thinking tonight. You do that, don't you? When you go shopping, you choose what you want to buy. You take hold of it and you pay for it. And then once you pay for it, you're careful to look after it, aren't you? You don't just drop it in the car park. If you do that with your shopping, do you think God is going to lose you? He's going to forget you? He's going to drop you on the way to heaven? You were purchased with the blood of Christ. You are exceedingly precious to him. He keeps those whom he has purchased. It's not just logical, though, this truth. It's the clear teaching of Scripture, as we've seen already. So let's look at the biblical evidence now for this truth. We've seen already in John 10 uh, some of those verses. Let's look at John's Gospel again, some earlier verses in John. So we go back. John 5 is the first verse we're going to look at. John 5 and verse 24. That's on page 1058. The bottom of the first column. Truly, 
Truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Again, Jesus is saying, once you're saved, you are completely saved. You are fully saved. You are mine. You've passed from death to life. The judgment will not threaten you. The terrors of law and death with me have nothing to do. We sang earlier, didn't they? We do not need to fear the judgment if Christ is our saviour. Let's move on to chapter 6, verse 37. Just turn the page to page 1060, chapter 6 and verse 37. Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. He's saying, what does the Father want me to do? He wants me to purchase the people that he chose before the foundation of the world, the ones he's given to me. And my work here on earth is to purchase them and to keep them. And I will. Not lose anyone, not a single one. And to raise them up at the last day. And I will, says Jesus. I won't lose a single one of those that I redeemed. Chapter 10, we read it earlier, didn't we, at the beginning? And again, just to highlight those verses familiar to us. Verse 27 to 30. Page 1066. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So that's the teaching of Jesus. Let's look at the teaching of Paul now in Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 is on page 1122. And we'll read from verse 28 down to verse 30. Paul says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Paul speaks there in verse 30 in the past tense, referring to Christians who aren't yet in heaven. He said, look, if God chose you, God is going to save you, God is going to keep you, God is going to bring you safely to heaven. It's as if you're already there. You are glorified. If you are called, if you're called, then you are chosen. If you're chosen, you're Christ's. You're predestined. Verse 31 and 39 of Romans 8 continues. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, 
who can be against us. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God, from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep for the slaughter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Praise God. That's how safe you are. Do you have doubts? Do you have fears? Do you think you could fall away? Well, if you are trusting in Christ, Paul says, there's nothing in this universe that could separate you from the Lord God who saved you. Let's read on Paul's letter to the Ephesians. What does Paul say there in chapter 1 and verse 13? We've seen already that he he chose us from before the foundation of the world. In this chapter, we're chosen by the Father. We've seen as well that we're redeemed by the Son. But it goes on in verse 13 to say, In him, that's in Christ, this is page 1159. In him you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So Paul there is saying, are you a Christian? Has God granted you a measure, a taste, the first fruits of the Holy Spirit? Well, that's like a seal from God saying, bang, you belong to me. Seal is a mark of ownership. And God is saying here, if you have the Holy Spirit, you are marked out as belonging to God. It's a guarantee, a 100% guarantee that if God has given you that first fruits, that foretaste, then you will receive the full amount, the full inheritance that is to come. And you could be sure of it. The Holy Spirit is the one that seals us to grant us that assurance. It says in Romans 8, doesn't it? His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Let's read Philippians, another of Paul's letters, just a couple of pages further on. Philippians chapter 1. And verse 6, page 1164. Paul, writing to the Christians in Philippi, says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 
God finishes what he starts. God's not one of those well-begun, half-done sort of people. If God has begun a good work in you, says Paul, you can be sure he will finish it. If you are truly converted, you will persevere to the end. Peter says the same thing in his first letter. Let's look at that. 1 Peter and chapter 1. Page 1203, 1203. Chapter 1 and verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by, the pow- who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter says there, have you been born again? Praise God. You've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And God, who's caused you to be born again, is keeping you so that you will enter into that inheritance that he has preserved for you. So that's the biblical evidence of this truth. What are the implications for you and I tonight? Well, I hope, if you've been listening, that you've been encouraged, that you've been comforted. To know that it's not in your strength that you're going to persevere. God has set his love upon you if you're a Christian and God will keep you to the end. I hope you're comforted and encouraged by that. Like Paul on the storm. The storm may be raging around you. And yes, there may be many dangers ahead. God has promised he will bring you safely home. Continue to press on. Continue to trust in him. His word is sure. His word is true. Be encouraged if you're a Christian here tonight. Especially if you're young in the faith and you're thinking, can I keep going? Especially if you're elderly and you have doubts as your physical strength fails. Particularly, perhaps those of you who are in a storm like the Apostle Paul. You have (laughs) trials and temptations in your life. Then this message is for you. God will keep you to the end. Jesus is the good shepherd. The good shepherd looks after his sheep. He leads them safely home. Psalm 23 reminds us, doesn't it? David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why? How? How can David say that? Because the Lord is my shepherd. That's what David said. And a shepherd brings his sheep home. And Christ is the good shepherd who loves his sheep. He's not a hired hand. And he laid down his life for the sheep. And he will lead his sheep safely home. This truth is not just for those 
who are struggling. This truth is for those who perhaps are just drifting through life, maybe tempted to ease off a bit. The Bible says, keep going, press on, persevere, strive to grow in holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Yes, we are comforted, but we must keep going as well. So this truth tells us as Christians that yes, we are comforted on the one hand, but we must strive to press on as well. Peter says in his second letter, be ever more diligent to make your calling and election sure. And Jesus says, he who endures to the end will be saved. So that's what we must do. What about those who profess to be Christians, who claim to be Christians and and, and are nowhere now? I'm sure you know people like that. I do. Surely they are proof that Christianity doesn't work. They said they were Christian and now they're not. The Bible says, well, you know, a pig uh, can be washed. A pig can be scrubbed. It can be made clean. But do you know a pig, when you clean it all up and you put a little bow around its neck, It just wants to go back into the mud and wallow again because it's a pig. That's what Peter says in 2 Peter 2, 22. What Peter's saying there is those who don't persevere to the end, those who go back to the world like Demas and others, are showing that they were never really changed inside. They're like the the shallow ground, like the, uh, the thorny ground. They have no depth. They're not truly Christian. They were never saved after all. For those who are not saved, what does this truth tell you and me this evening? Well, you don't have this security. Jesus is not promising to keep you and bring you safely to heaven. In fact, you are in danger tonight if you're not a Christian of leaving this place under God's wrath and maybe dying tonight without Christ and without hope. So if that's your condition tonight, can I urge you to think about what Christ has done at the cross to save people like you and me and to recognize that he's done everything you need. All you need to do is to turn from your sin and to trust in him as your savior. Don't leave this place tonight outside of Christ without Christ you are without hope instead you're in great danger why would anyone reject eternal life and choose eternal death why would anyone want to go to hell instead of heaven we were thinking on Saturday how the problem for many is is a moral problem They don't want to let go of their sin. Jesus said, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men prefer darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Friends, do you have a sin that no one else knows about? A secret sin. And you love it. And you don't want to let go. Can I appeal to you? Don't let that sin take you to hell. Turn from it. 
For those of you who may be thinking about becoming a Christian and you're not sure if you could keep it, keep it up, you're right. You cannot in your own strength. None of us can. But God gives grace. If you choose to follow Christ, God promises that he will help you. He will give you grace to persevere in the Christian life. His salvation is full. His salvation is free. We're told in the Bible that if we're Christian, we are saved by grace. God's kindness that we don't deserve. And he keeps us by grace. And that grace is, that salvation is all of grace. It's his grace and it's amazing grace. Is that true of you? Are you saved by grace here tonight? Are you on that road, that narrow road that leads to life? Do you have confidence that Christ has died for you? Can you say with John Newton, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you that you are a God who not only saves, but a God who keeps to the very end. Thank you, Lord, that you've promised never to let go of those who have come to you and humbled themselves and cried to you for mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your promise that all your chosen people will be there in heaven, that you will not lose a single one. And yet, Lord, help those of us who believe to continue in the Christian life and to press on and to persevere to the end. In Jesus' name, amen.